Welcome to episode number 12 of the Advanced Training Podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to be dissecting a documentary that I saw called In Search of Greatness. If you are a parent, sit down with your kid and watch this documentary at least five times. If you're a coach, you absolutely have to watch this. I am not telling you to skip this documentary because of this podcast by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely, absolutely watch it. If you're a competitor of any sort, it's worth watching. So the, the main summary of this thing, this, this documentary, is that it looks at great athletic performers and tries to deconstruct what makes them great. What are the patterns that you see from one athlete to another, regardless of the sport that they're playing? So they look at people like Jerry Rice, Wayne Gretzky, Pele, Serena Williams. Uh, they talk about Rocky Marciano. A lot of these people all had certain traits in common. So this podcast right now, this episode is really intended just to give you my take on it. And I'm going to do my best to relate this to what we do from an advanced training perspective, how I do things as a coach. And really, a lot of the guys I'm talking to you right now, there's a lot of things that I see in you and the conversations that I have with you. And I'm talking to the advanced training people out there about the way you approach things. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a world-class performer in uh, Olympic weightlifting or in some sort of, uh, I don't know, CrossFit game. But for you, you've achieved your own level of greatness to the best of your abilities. So let, let, let's kick this thing off with a couple of these points. Point number one is that almost everyone in that video did not see themselves as the most talented person on the team. In fact, they felt quite the opposite. They're talking to people like Wayne Gretzky who said that his combine numbers for the NHL would be mediocre at best. Jerry Rice thought he was slow. But the thing that they all seem to have in common was that they like to use their weakness as a strength. So, for example, Wayne Gretzky knew he wasn't that big. He knew he wasn't a guy that wanted to pound somebody on the ice. So he really wanted to use his abilities to just get away from people, to use his skill to get away from them. Or he said, I would, I would skate to where the puck was going. He didn't want to get into that, that combat on the rink. And that's one of the things that made him the best player that he could be, if not one of the best players ever. I'll relate this back to myself. Uh, I was a, In college, I was a grossly sized, undersized middle linebacker. And to me, I thought that was a massive weakness. So what I would do to kind of protect myself is as guards were pulling, tackles were down blocking, I'd kind of hide behind our big defensive lineman. I'd stay low, scrape across, I'd find that open window and I'd fill it. Or... Uh, I would try be so scared of getting my bell rung that I would make it a point that I was going to hit them before they hit me. So if that gap opened up on an ISO play, I didn't wait a half a second. You know, back, back when I played football, there was a thing called a fullback. Uh, there was also something called a newspaper back in the day. Uh, I'm sure a fire was invented at that point, too. But when that fullback came, I had to hit that guy fast. If there was, if I was playing like in an outside linebacker position and there was a down block, I couldn't wait. I had to get underneath that kickout block immediately. So for me, that weakness of my size eventually became a strength. And what I would hear constantly from offensive linemen was, man, you're so hard to find. Like you're so short that we can't find you. It makes it hard to block you. 
So I'm thinking about this from a from the guys that I train perspective, especially as we get close to this tough man competition. I know most of them, when you, when you think about relative to where you are with the pack, they're thinking, well, I'm not the best. Uh, they're probably all thinking, maybe Joe Sarno is a total package, big dude, super fast. How can I beat him? But hopefully on these par- podcasts, you're starting to see how they're using their own perceived weaknesses as their strengths or how they did it as part of the challenge. The other part of this is that a lot of these great athletes, they had failures. Very few of them ever said, you know what, uh, yeah, my entire life I was the best player on every team I was at. I was named a starter immediately, and I was an all-star uh, from game one. If you think about this, think about Michael Jordan. I know everybody knows the story about him being cut from his high school basketball team. But listen to that guy's Hall of Fame speech. He sounds like a guy that had no success in his life. He rattles off everyone, everyone on this journey who's ever slighted him. And things I didn't know was that he wasn't named a starter at UNC when he first walked through the door. Uh, It really, really bothered this guy. It still bothers him to this day. Shaquille O'Neal, his Hall of Fame speech. I didn't know this, but he was cut as a freshman and a sophomore. Kobe Bryant, his first playoff game, or that first playoff series, he had air ball after air ball after air ball. And, and I know I talk about this a lot, but it is your failures and how you react to them that will make you a man. It'll make you successful. So the, the thing that I was seeing with all these people was that they had failures right away. And something, too, was uh, Jerry Rice, his rookie year, couldn't catch. This is a guy with unbelievable hands. They picked him up. Uh, Bill Walsh drafted him because of how good of a receiver he was. It wasn't because of his speed. It's because he could catch the football, because he could run Chris Browns, but he was dropping everything in the NFL. So for, for guys that are struggling, for guys that have failed in the past, I'd say use those failures. Be resilient. And I'm looking at, at the advanced training crowd. You know, I've seen guys not do too well on certain tough man competitions and then come back and absolutely kill it. So have that resiliency. Use that failure as a driver. Do not give up. Now, I'd say this ties back into the most talented player aspect. Because the most talented player, probably going through their high school and college career, they probably had very few points of failure. They probably never had to be resilient. So when things got rough, they just gave up or they crumbled. They had no idea how to handle that adversity. So for you young high school athletes who feel like times are rough or you lost a game or you lost your spot, that's the point where you become a man. That's the turning point where you can become great. Another very interesting thing that I, that I saw was that these guys felt that a lot of their creativity that they had on the rink or on the basketball court came through what's called playtime. Now imagine this going outside with your friends and playing. When I was a kid, and I sound like an old man again, but a lot of what I did was just play football in the street with my friends. I did not play organized football until I was a freshman in high school. And I feel like a lot of what I learned about man coverage and crazy wacky plays, my friends used to call me Dallas as a kid. I don't know why they called me Dallas, but they were saying that uh, I had the Dallas Cowboys playbook in my head. But I remember having a legit playbook playing two-hand touch in the street and just rocking people because we were somewhat organized. But the point being is that you need time to play. So I'm looking at high school athletes now or even kids in grammar school. 
I just see that parents are constantly taking their kids to speed coaches. They're constantly uh, 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 signing them up for multiple teams in, in their off-seasons. They're never giving them the freedom to go and just have fun or the freedom to experiment. Everything is very structured. Now, from my standpoint as a coach, what I like to do is give our, our guys time off. We actually schedule time off. We schedule it in to get them away from us so that they don't hate us by the end of the season. We give them time off so that they can have some of this time to go experiment. And I really don't like when we give them time off and then they go to another trainer because now they've lost that window of opportunity to be creative and to play. I think some of the greatest workouts that I've been able to develop were when I was on vacation with my wife. I'm in some hotel gym. There's a lot of uh, restrictions on what we can and can't do, and I have to come up with something clever. When I'm in the, the heat of things and I'm training a, a pack of kids or I'm really getting deep into my own program, that creativity is never there. So you really have to. You have to give yourself some time to play. I know a lot of guys say, Coach, I'm doing the right thing. Uh, I want to go get a trainer, be the best for the team. I respect that. But I would love for you guys to take the training that we gave you. Go to a gym on your own. Do that stuff. And then while you're there, start to tinker around a little bit using the principles that we taught you. So, yes, we want you to have great form. Do that. But maybe you mess around with tempo a little bit. Maybe you mess around with your grip a little bit. Maybe you mess around with uh, the order of the way you're doing things. I don't know. Maybe you can focus on how you're controlling your breathing. But you need that playtime. The other thing that they mentioned is with respect to, like, say, this playtime or this creativity is that a lot of these guys were not one-sport athletes. And I know a lot of people like to focus on, like, a Tiger Woods playing golf when, as he's coming out of the womb. But I think in sports that have randomness, being able to incorporate multiple motor patterns that you learn when you're young really helps you develop as an overall athlete. So if, you know, if you're, uh, I don't know, a first grader and all you play is football, or if you're a basketball player, I see this a lot in that sport, I'll play fall basketball, I'll play summer basketball, I'll play winter basketball, I'm on six basketball teams, I'm on six soccer teams. Uh, it, I'm not going to lie, it'll help you specialize at that sport, but you definitely lose the, the general athletic ability that could make you better at that sport. And just because everyone else is pretty much doing the same thing you are, everybody stays on the same relative plane. So it's not that doing that makes you better, it's just that everybody else is doing the same garbage you are, so they're not reaching that peak potential. So I think that you should play multiple sports especially when you're growing up and developing. But I also think that your entire calendar should not be based around play, playing multiple sports all year long. You need some play time. You need to be creative. I know a lot of parents think they're doing the best thing for their kids by constantly have them, having them enrolled in every travel team possible and going to see six different personal trainers. But it's really not the case. That kid needs time to develop on their own. And speaking of development... One thing that I loved is that they all, these guys all saw themselves as artists, which I really love to hear. Uh, it, it wasn't just playing a game to them. They really did believe there was some sort of art to what they were doing. And this probably sounds a little wacky, but from my own perspective, as I write a program, I do believe that, in my mind, this is artwork. As I'm developing a presentation for work, I believe that's artwork. As I'm making modifications to our website, I think it's artwork. 
So for me, I believe that that artist mindset really helps you take things to a level. There's no grind anymore. It's really about putting on a presentation for people. In my mind, and I know when I played college football, there wasn't a 100,000 people at a game. I played at Columbia, uh, a small D1 school, but I always felt like it was our job to entertain the people that came to that game. And we should be entertaining them, not with showboating, but by playing like sick maniacs and really putting on a show of speed, you know, and hitting and execution that they wanted to see. To me, that was the, the artistry of what was going on. I really felt like I was a craftsman at that point. And I just love that a guy like Wayne Gretzky said, yeah, I am an artist. Or Jerry Rice said, yeah, I am an artist. And it wasn't like they were artists by themselves. In their world, they were art artists within the team concept. You know, Jerry Rice knew it was artwork for him and Joe Montana together to make checks at the line of scrimmage and have him open on a post route. You know, Wayne Gretzky knew it was artwork. I believe it was with Mario, Le Mario Lemieux that they knew that it would be like pass, pass, shoot. And Wayne Gretzky was saying, look to Lemieux, every single time I get the puck, you shoot. So it was, it was known artistry. It was choreographed dancing on how to score. So I love that. And I really, as I look at guys that I train, they, I also believe that what they're doing, they feel is artwork. Even just as something as stupid as uh, how they approach doing sliders. You know, how does it look? How does it feel? Can I gain an extra advantage by putting my foot two inches up? There's a lot of artistry involved in what they're trying to do. Which kind of takes me to my next point of they're saying that there are two qualities of prodigies. One is this rage of mastery. And two is a quickness to learn. So I'll say that again. So prodigies have two, two traits. One is a rage of mastery, and two is a quickness to learn. You need both of them. So let's take the rage of mastery for a second. Let's just say that we're talking about a farmer's walk, one of the moves that we execute during our tough man challenge. Some people just pick it up off the ground and run with it, right? There's no rage of mastery on how do you get it from point A to point B. But we have guys that are legitimately studying how should my grip be? Where should my knuckles be? How far up that farmer's walk should my hand be? Should it be in the middle? Should it be in the back? How should, when I pick it up, how should my front foot be? How should my back foot be? There is a mastery going on in their mind. And maybe it goes too far. Right? We had one guy call himself the, uh, the Chuck Knobloch of sliders because he was getting in his own head. But for me, you have to be that obsessed with it. I think about guys like uh, Ryan Smith, who won our Tough Man Challenge four years in a row. He was obsessed. He was completely and totally obsessed with challenges or Tough Man times from everyone that ever went before him. All of this information is that I, I have it all. It's all on our website. It's all on YouTube. All the time is there. Everybody's times, everybody's moves, everybody's techniques. He's a guy that obsessed over it. Joe Trunzo equally as obsessed going through, going through the archives. Uh, Joe Sarno, another guy that's completely obsessed with his form. What can they do outside of that training to help them master that skill set? I'd have to say the same thing with respect to football. Are you completely and totally obsessed with your technique? How much film are you watching? 
before your game, after practice. You know, I loved listening to a guy like Chris Spielman. He had put a projector on the wall, and they had the end zone view. We, we call it tight. And he basically played the game. He played the game at a projector. That's how it should be done. I, I wish that every inside linebacker or defensive lineman can do it. You could basically play the entire game without any contact just by reading your keys and repping with the offense every single play. But the second part of that is a quickness to learn. So if you have this rage of mastery, but you don't have this cognitive ability to learn, all right, I'm, I'm thinking about this stuff, but I can't learn it, or I'd even say the motor skills to execute, well, then you're probably just frustrated, right? So you're, you really do need both. On the other hand, you could have this quickness to learn, but no desire at all to master anything. So, and again, I go back to these people with insane talent. Sometimes they focus on that so much, and it's gotten them so far, so they think it's working, but they're just so much more talented than everybody else. It's the people that have both the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, uh, the Wayne Gretzky's, the Serena Williams. That's what made them great. Now, I've been fortunate enough to train three people uh, that have played in the NFL, and from what I saw... They all had that trait of quickness to learn. Like what I see with higher level athletes is that when you tell them to uh, pull your hip back a little bit or shoot your knee out, they can do it instantly. Like it just happens. They, they can learn it and they do it in about 10 seconds. They may not care about why they're doing it, but they're just doing it. When I'm training a regular, I'll say a, a middle-of-the-road high school kid, or even a middle-of-the-road Division three football player, sometimes it takes like three months. They want to learn. They have that rage of knowledge, but they definitely don't have that quickness to learn. And when you get them both together, that's when you get that superstar. And really, they, the, the great ones, obsess on the little things, and then they try and have some fun with it. So what they talk about in the documentary is uh, Federer, I think he was number two in the uh, in Wimbledon. I don't actually know what it's called, but I think it's Wimbledon recently. I mean, he would have a ball and have a, a ball boy hold his hand at, and before the game would just try and hit the ball into that ball boy's hand. So again, you take that obsessive mastery, you combine it with creativity, and now that is just awesomeness uh, personified. And I'm even thinking about like stupid, and I'm not a big fan of Odell Beckham Jr. I think he's insanely good football player, but I think uh, I think some <laughs> some of his issues make the team around him uh, not execute that well. I'll leave it at that. But him just having fun with one-handed catches in practice—that's what made it easy during the game. So combining that rage of mastery with obsession over little things and having fun with it. That's a, that's a great way to just make it a habit during the game. The other part of this is that there is there does seem to be some sort of insane competitive nature. I'm going to go back to Michael Jordan's speech. Uh, just just listening to that guy talk, and he what he was saying was that when he was a kid, and this is not the entire thing is not in the video in the documentary. I've actually since gone back and watched a bunch of Hall of Fame speeches. And a lot of them have the same type of story. But for Michael Jordan, it was his competitive fire was fueled as a kid in his family life. And then everything that happened along the way was like another log in that fire. 
So these people, they just hate to lose. And I'm thinking about some things that I've posted on uh, Instagram. One of them was, was uh, Lawrence Taylor. And they were talking about how he didn't care if he had 15 tackles and they lost. He just wanted to win. These guys just want to win. So I think that competitive nature, in fact, I know it, is really what helps drive that rage of mastery. Like, I don't want to lose. I hate losing. So I'm going to obsess over this little thing. And I'm going to figure out the best way to get this done. Or even that fear of not being the most talented. Now it's, ha, I'm competitive. i got to compensate for this deficiency that I have. Now look, this could be a a double-edged sword. Because, you know, sometimes these, these artists, these masters, they're never really content. They're always in a state of, of lacking. But it, it does lead to great performance when they are using that competitive nature, using that fear of not being the most talented to really, and using that rage of mastery to put out that optimal product. The last thing I'm going to hit on, because I do believe that your environment absolutely helps the environment that you're in. So what a lot of these guys said, and I'm kind of talking to myself here, of like, how do you create that environment to develop or enable that greatness? So one thing they said was that these players had coaches who played to their strengths. So they didn't try and make them good at stuff they were bad at. What they tried to do was make them great at stuff they were really good at. So for me as a coach, things that I like to do is Try to get kids in the right position. Try to get kids in a position where they can contribute. Normally, I ask them, what do you feel about playing position X? Here's why I want to put you there. Here's where I think you'll be great. Do you want to do it? Most of the time, if they said no, we let it go. There's only a handful of times where we say, really think about this. Let's give it a shot. If you don't like it, you can always go back. But really, we want to. there's too much time spent trying to make kids great that's stuff they're not that good at. Focus on the stuff that they like you know, and, and really maximize that strength. Also, I, I love rules. I love a good schedule. But it, there, is, there is something about letting your players be creative. Giving them the ability, I don't know, to name plays. Or sometimes we have our guys develop workouts. I know for us, a big part of what we do is we let them pick the challenge. Right, So this is not just me being lazy or uh, not being organized. I love having them pick the challenge because it's their time to be creative. And it kind of breaks my heart when a guy just kind of repeat the same challenge over and over again. Sometimes we'll force them to be creative. But we're trying to make sure that that creativity that they're using in the gym could eventually carry over to the field. Because not everything's going to happen as is scripted. Yeah, we draw up a play. You know, especially in scout team, we say this guy is going to block this guy. This defensive end is going to go into this gap. But that doesn't always happen. So we want to arm them with the fundamentals to execute, but also with the creative mind to adjust as things are happening on the fly. And with that, you know, these guys also said that that coach could be your best friend or your worst enemy. So I I know in the world that we live in today, a lot of people don't want to hear if they've done something wrong. They don't want any form of constructive criticism. They crumble when they hear anything bad about them. But the reality is, you, you can't get better unless someone is giving you in-the-moment feedback. And trust me, for those of you that have not entered uh, corporate America right now, or you're not in the formal work world, you're going to appreciate getting 
in-the-moment feedback. If you're working in corporate America, you might be told once a year that you're doing a good job or a bad job. You might be your end of the year performance may say uh, you're mediocre, right? And now you've had 12 months before that to not have made any adjustments based on what you were hearing. This, what I love about this game of football is that you get in the moment feedback right there, and you have full control to improve that or not. Having said that, you shouldn't just always be the worst enemy. To me, it's you kind of got to give honest feedback. When they do something good, you praise it. If they need correction, you correct it. At the same time, you're, and this is again me going off script from that documentary, I do believe that every athlete does need to be coached differently at different times. Certain athletes need to be told they're the best. Some need to be told they're the worst. Some need to be told that there's another guy that's better than them. you got to find out what motivates that player and really hone in on it. And the other part of this is that it's not going to be the same every day. Kids got a lot going on in their lives. Football may be like the fourth most important thing. I get it. So you really got to be able to evaluate where that kid is at that time and find your way to motivate them. The last thing that they said was that these great coaches really gave control to their players. And, and I do believe this. And a, a lot of people will think, that's wrong, man. Uh, the head coach or the head of a program should completely and tonally set the tone for everything and own every facet of it. But the reality is most great teams, most great programs, is where the players, they're the ones enforcing the rules. They're the ones setting the culture. They're the ones keeping people accountable. It means so much more when, you're, when your buddy is telling you that you need to show up on time instead of a coach. It means so much more when your buddy is telling you to work harder. Uh, again, as I'm listening to these Hall of Fame speeches, there were multiple times that uh, Michael Jordan or Shaquille O'Neal were referencing teammates saying, these guys pushed me to get better. For better or for worse, Shaquille O'Neal said, Kobe Bryant pushed him to get better. He pushed him to get better at every practice. He made him the player he was. And then he made a joke saying that he also pushed him off the team to get traded to Miami. But it pushed him to get better in Miami where he won a fourth championship in a row. So I, I really am a big believer in that. You're only as strong as your locker room. I'm also thinking about the Patriots or the New York Giants, but I'll go back to the Patriots. Th when they had Teddy Bruschi and uh, I think it was uh, Willie McGinnis, they sat at the edge of the locker room. They purposely put their lockers at the edge of the locker room. And they knew when everyone came in, they knew when everybody left, and they would give guys a hard time for skating early. That is when the culture changed. The same thing happened with the Giants back in the, the mid-'80s when you had Carl Banks, Harry Carson, Lawrence Taylor. Those guys set the tone in the locker room. So just a quick recap of the things that makes, make the great people great, and hopefully you find it somewhere in yourself. While you may not have the most talent, hopefully you're looking at your weakness as a strength. Or hopefully you're finding what it is that you love and or you think you're kind of good at that most people would perceive as a weakness and using it to be your strength. Hopefully you're taking time to get out of a regimented structure to have some creativity and playtime. Hopefully you have the quickness to learn, but if you don't, you better have that rage of mastery. You better obsess on those tiny things to give yourself that edge. And really, that edge needs to come from a competitive nature. If competition is not in your blood, well, you're going to be mediocre at best. 
All right, you'll you'll be somebody that nobody's ever heard of. And the other part is that it, you know you you need a great coach to allow you to be the artist that you should be. Take this thing to a different level. Again, this is not tell. Do not, do not, not miss this documentary. Watch the documentary. Documentary. If you're a coach, again, watch it with your kids. It'll be well worth your time. I know that I have personally recommended it to everyone on our staff. I know that a couple of our coaches have watched it with their kids twice. One coach even put it on uh, during like a gym period at school. It, it is worth watching. All right. Thank you.